We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Today is Wednesday, September 16th. I'm Jeff Erickson. I'm here with Jerry Donabedian from rotowire.com. You can see Jerry all over the place when it comes to football season. Uh, Jerry does the hidden stats article he does at the Rotowire. He does uh, streaming defenses, and uh, you're, there's one more article. You do another, like a matchups article at the end of the week, right? Right, Jerry? Yeah, I do. Um, I do the hidden stat line articles where I kind of look at break down like usage, and then I do streaming defenses on Tuesday, uh, like start sit matchups on Wednesday and Thursday, and then Friday I do DFS. Yeah, so four articles. I, I sold you short. Busy week. It's definitely a busy week. Five, well, five actually because the one of them is split into two. But yeah, busy gotcha. busy week. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. Uh, and well, there's a lot. You know. Like you, uh, in your uh, preface to the hidden stats, uh, hidden stat line, your summary article, uh, this is a huge week. Week one's huge, especially this year because we had no, you know, no preseason games, no mini camps, no OTAs. It's as much as fresh powder as we're ever going to have. Yeah, I always think like, yeah, week one is the the most new information that you're pretty much ever going to get, right? Like generally more is going to have changed in the off season, you know, between week 17 of last year and week one, then it will change from week to week this year. Although, you know, if you have a bunch of running back injuries in one week, all of a sudden for like fantasy, it's mad scramble on the waiver wire, which we did, did see a little bit this week, but maybe not quite as much as last year. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you, know, you know, it's funny last year, you know, it's funny that I didn't feel like there were too many enduring pickups. That, you know, there was guys you'd you know use for a week or two and then, you know, moved on. You know, there weren't too many guys that you picked up, especially like running back. You couldn't find like the there was no Philip Lindsay last year, where it was a guy you picked up in week one or week two that you could use on a regular basis. Yeah, if I remember correctly, last year, this year, the big week one pickups are like Malcolm Brown, Benny Snell, Naheem Hines, running backs, which I think is the norm for fantasy, right? Right. But last year, it was like, um, it was mostly wide receivers and tight ends. And the big, the biggest guys were like John Ross, um, who had like one more good game and then was yeah. either hurt or ineffective for most. I think he had one more good game at the end, but by that point. And TJ Hawkinson was another big one, and he just did, he had a huge week one, um, although he just did that again a couple days ago, um, and then did nothing. And then like DJ Chark was kind of like a secondary or tertiary yeah, pickup. That's right. And then he was like the one guy who was in like week one waiver columns who like really ended up being a start throughout the year. Yeah. Um, and I kind of 
maybe I kind of think like Miles Gaskin could be that guy this year. Like he has like some like he's getting some attention, but overshadowed by other guys. Um, and so I don't think he's going to be on DJ Chark's level of production, obviously. But I think that maybe there's a few guys like that this year, like those secondary waiver targets where you can get someone that can help your team throughout the year without like, you know, the big fob that's going to be necessary for Hines or Snell or Malcolm Brown. Right. I mean, maybe if you were lucky, you got Darren Waller in a thinner league. But, I mean, he was pretty much drafted, especially the later you got in, uh, to draft season, he was pretty much snatched up. I mean, you know, he, you know they he got plenty of buzz in draft season. So, yeah, not too many of those. All right, let's, let's talk some big news items. There are a lot of wide receiver injuries, including the biggest one. Right off the top, Michael Thomas, uh, you know, he has, uh, you know, a uh, high ankle sprain. At first, you're like, well, I'm going to play through it. I think I'll be all right. And now we're hearing reports that it's worse than initially thought. He's going to miss several weeks. You know, this happened very end of the game against the Bucks last week. Didn't really have a huge game. I mean, that happens with the top receiver side. I'm not really concerned about that, but I am concerned about this injury. Yeah, that was, oh man, that was rough seeing at the end of the game, like when the, when the, they were up, I think up 10 or 11 points and there's like two minutes left and they, I'm fine with like doing the trick play to taste some hell, trying to score another touchdown, but like do it with Ty Montgomery and Traquan Smith on the field, not with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, right? Like you want to keep playing football and score more points. Like I'm not one of these purists who's going to say, oh, you should just kneel on it and run up the middle when you're winning, but like take the reigning offensive player of the year off the field when the game is over. So, I mean, I feel bad for Thomas because, like, you know, he's he's going to probably miss a few games. He shouldn't have even been out there in the first place. Right. Uh, and in that same game, also late in the game, Chris Godwin uh, got hit, uh, high hit, hit to the head. You know, there was some, some concern. He was looked at for a concussion. Didn't show any symptoms Monday or Tuesday. Today, he gets popped into the uh, concussion protocol by the Bucks. Yeah, that's and you know we know what the concussion it sounds like. You know, it wasn't probably not too serious, but with the concussion protocol, it's probably always going to be at best fifty fifty um, whether the guy is back for week two. Um, and that'll be you know we already like kind of feel like you no, know, we can't trust the Bucks with injury info because they did like Mike Evans went from doubtful to questionable to playing like ninety five percent of snaps. Um, right. So I don't know. Maybe it wasn't shenanigans. Maybe he just healed really fast. But to me, it seemed a little like they probably knew all along that he was closer to questionable or probable rather than doubtful. Yeah, maybe wanted to like have the the Saints let their guard down. Well, guess what? They didn't. Uh, you know, Evans didn't really do much. You know, he was on the field a lot, but only got four targets. Did score that touchdown. Somehow got freed himself of Marshawn Lattimore, so he didn't get uh, that that direct coverage. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, he was not a main guy. And in fact, after the fact, you know, Bruce Arians like, yeah, we need to get him more targets next time. Yeah. Yeah. Between you've got like the, the squeaky wheel factor, you've got Godwin potentially out. And then you've got a Panthers team that already probably is a bottom five defense and their top cornerback, Dante Jackson. Um, well, I think I think he practiced. I think he was practicing at least limited on Wednesday, but he was pulled from the week one game with an injury. So there's just a lot of things there where it's like you could see one of these like classic like you know 17 target 150 yard uh, Mike Evans games. Um, although you do wonder with guys with the hamstring injury, it's like you know he's one slip away from you know pulling his hamstring again. So that that is a little cause for concern, and we don't know Godwin's out yet. Um, but I I would think things are shaping up for a pretty good week for Evans. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, and I want to see you know we want to see how he practices this week too. Uh, if there's uh, if Godwin doesn't play, I'm also kind of reasonably high on Scotty Miller. Uh, got a decent amount of usage. Showed some chemistry with Brady in Week One. Uh, you know I think he's a guy too that uh, against Carolina. Well, you want anybody against Carolina? You want you know, you definitely want uh, I think Ronald Jones this week too, but. I have him reasonably high in my rankings. I think all these things are, are something that we want to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah, Scotty, yeah, Scotty Miller looked really good. I have to admit, I didn't take him too seriously. Uh, you know, he did kind of have some like deep league dynasty league buzz all throughout the spring and summer. Um, I know he's, you know, he's got ran the really good forty time. He's the guy who plays the slot a lot. Um, but he, yeah, he looked really good. He was like the one person in Godwin looked good too, but in that Tampa Bay offense 
Otherwise, they didn't look great. Um, I thought Rojo looked pretty good, too. But against that Saints defense, not a ton of room to run. Uh, And like you alluded to, everyone should have a little more space to work with against Carolina this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to uh, that matchup. Uh, if if you got those guys, I I only have Godwin. I think in one league, I have no Evans. I, I have actually a couple of OJ Howard shares, uh, but uh, one of those is a dynasty league, and I'm very stubborn. Uh, but the, the other is uh, too just uh, you know I and I and I have some Ronald Jones, and I'm I'm definitely starting Ronald Jones in places where I have him. Yeah, you look at, I mean, you look at uh, week one, he didn't, Jones didn't have a huge snap share because they, you know, they fell behind and they put LaShawn McCoy on the field a lot. But, like Leonard Fournette barely played. I think he played like seven, eight snaps. Yeah. Um, and Jones had like 80%, 75% of the team's carries um, and got a couple targets. So like, it was really basically, it was the same breakdown that the Bucks had last year in the second half of the season, right? Where you have Jones as the lead guy, Dari Agunbowale as the passing down guy. It's now LaShawn McCoy, but it's like the same role where they just pass and run a bunch of empty routes, don't get any touches. And then you have Leonard Fournette as like a very upgraded, very, very rich man's version of Peyton Barber. Um, but it was the same role that Peyton Barber had last year where he just like gets a few carries and that's all he does. Um, so yeah, like, and we saw Jones in that role last year, be like a decent RB two over the second half of the season. So for a home game against the Panthers, like, yeah, I would, I mean, I've got a couple, you know, I wasn't, wasn't excited to be using him last week and it didn't work out great, but I've definitely got a couple spots uh, where I'm going to fire him up this week and I'll be pretty confident in it. Yeah. Uh, how about Alan Robinson? News on him is, you know, well, it wasn't news. It was like, oh my God, he, he's taking all the bear stuff off his social media, off his Instagram and all that. And he was unhappy about the contract situation there. Hasn't got a contract extension, wants one. Uh, he talked to the press today when they asked him, did you ask for a trade? He wouldn't directly answer, but he did say he was right with coach uh, Matt Nagy. I tend to think this is much ado about nothing. Well, maybe not nothing, but I, I it's, much to do about something we can't worry about. I would, if you have them, you keep playing. You, you keep playing them, and I like the matchup against the Giants, and that's a more controlling factor than his unhappiness. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it seems. I think the good news is, from what it sounds like, from, from what I mean, it's hard to tell these things, but it sounds like his frustration is with the front office that it isn't like, you know, he's not. It hasn't bled over to like you know things with the coach Nagy or with. Trubisky, although I'm sure he doesn't love having Mitch Trubisky as his quarterback. Um, but I, I think that in terms of like, you know, fantasy, I would, I'm, you know, he saw, he actually saw league high five targets, 20 plus yards downfield week one. He's got the Giants matchup. Uh, so I, I think he's going to do really well this week and in general. Um, I, I'm sort of conflicted on if it did come to a trade, would I want him traded or not? Because it's like, it would be cool to see him with a much better quarterback, but I also think on the Bears, he's like, you know, he's in a really good position to see 150, 160 targets right. again. You go to a better team where like their second and third option are aren't Anthony Miller and Jimmy Graham. Um, you know, you might be looking at seven targets a week instead of ten. Um, obviously, you would expect it to be more efficient, maybe more red zone opportunities. But yeah, I don't. I guess it really depends on like what that would be, but. I it it seems unlikely to me that they would it would come to a trade. Like I would think worst case scenario is just that he's kind of angry this season plays it out and then signs with a different team in the off season. Right. Uh yeah, and I think you're right. You know, it's very rare too that you see a guy get traded and he you know, he's very productive right away. I mean, Amari Cooper comes to mind as maybe a, a good counterexample of someone who did produce pretty quickly, but usually uh, it takes time to learn a new offense, and as you alluded, if you're going to a better team, chances are they have other other interesting options. He's another guy on the pile, and I, th- I think of like, okay, the Niners they could use another wide receiver, but you know, Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't great in his own right on Sunday, and wasn't great in the Super Bowl. He's missed some throws recently. I, I mean, is he better than Trubisky? Probably, but I don't know how big that margin really is. Yeah, that would I said that is that would be like a team that one of the first that comes to mind in terms of a fit, um, and obviously like with the win now mentality, 
they would be in, might be interested in trading. But yeah, like you said, Drabo is not that much better than Trubisky, and the Niners are, you know, they like to run the ball, and they're pretty good at it. So, like, yeah, that would be a place where, you know, you I think he'd be going from, like, his 10 targets per game we see with the Bears to, like, maybe 7 with the 49ers. Although there is, you know, there's some impact of, like, these things aren't totally um, – you know, it's not totally flat. Like the Niners could say, oh, we have Allen Robinson. We're going to throw a little more now. Uh, but yeah, that would be an example, I think, where I would rather just, if I'm, you know, have him on a fantasy team, I'd rather just keep him on the Bears and, and get those like steady targets from a bad quarterback. Right. Speaking of bad quarterbacks, how about Phil Rivers? You know, you know and it's weird. They're, they're in one breath, people talk about him going to the Hall of Fame. In another breath, like, killed us in Survivor again this week. You look at someone like, I, I that was one of the first, you know, rewatches I did. I did. I do this every week where I rewatch the game afterward, like on Game Pass, because you know you can't see every play in real time. You have to just you have to go back and go through things. And there are a lot of WTF plays uh, coming from Rivers, including uh, his first interception, which never should have been thrown, and the la- that last interception, another really badly th- you know bad decision, not just a bad throw, but a bad decision. Yeah, he's he's kind of. Kind of like the Eli Manning thing where it's like he's he's I don't I don't want to say he's overstayed his welcome, right? He's not so bad that you're like, oh man, this guy, you know, has no place on uh it's not like Peyton Manning where he just like kind of all of a sudden just like couldn't really play anymore. Um but yeah, he's definitely declined and I was a little I was actually uh I actually bet the Jags money line last week because I mean I didn't think they'd win, but I thought it was like I think the line was eight points the Colts were the popular survivor pick right I just thought it was like it seemed like pretty much an even quarterback battle Jacksonville is home field um Colts have pretty much had pretty much everything else work in their advantage uh but you know Minshew outplayed Rivers by so much I do think going back home they're going to be Colts are going to be in a dome this week we just saw the Vikings secondary just have Aaron Rodgers and those Packers receivers just do absolutely terrible things to them so I think the Colts are going to be okay but I don't you know, they're, I think this, I think they. It was weird too to see like how much they threw in a game that was close throughout, right? Like I thought this team, like their their offensive line, and I know Mac got hurt, but then you put Jonathan Taylor, and you know you might be better off. Um, I thought it was interesting to see like, like how much they were spreading it out, how much they were throwing to Campbell, Hines, Hilton, the shorter passes. I thought it was going to be more of a power oriented team this year. Yeah, I think that they they were taking what the Jags tried to give them. In, in so much that they, you know, I think the Jags, you know, were aware that the Colts would run up, want to power it down them, and probably I think they schemed accordingly. And I think if you look at, the, if you, if you, you know, watching that game, the Colts moved the ball up and down the field. They did not have a problem right. with the ball. They just had some ill-timed turnovers. They missed two field goals in the third quarter. Uh, Blankenship had a, a tough, or no, not two. He missed one. It was the Bills that missed two field goals. Uh, you know, but uh, they, they left the point is they left a lot out there. Uh, they had, there's a, their second drive, they had a fourth and one, they ran Hines up the middle and kind of a jumbo like formation. I'm like, eh, I, I could have thought of like a lot of other things I would have rather done differently there. Uh, I don't mind the decision to go for it. It's just, again, running it into the pile with your lighter running back doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah, I think, yeah, there were a couple things. Well, in terms of like the way that they, you know, they did run more of their spread offense with Hines. And then if you look at the usage, like before Marlon Mack was injured, um, I think Marlon Mack took all of his carries before Jonathan Taylor took his first carry. So it's not like they were rotating really at the beginning, right? It was like Mack was the lead guy, Hines on passing downs, Taylor maybe came in a couple snaps. So I just I wonder if there's something they've seen in practice with Jonathan Taylor where they're like, obviously this guy's super talented, but I don't know if it's like a pass blogging thing. We hear that a lot with rookie running backs. It's a fumble thing. We've heard that with and I think at this point for fantasy, it's like I don't really care because they're gonna put you know, now that Max gone, they're gonna put Taylor in there and fumbles it's like, you know, you lose what, one or two points. It's you know, I mean I don't think they're gonna bench Taylor for Jonathan Wilkins or anything. So like, yeah, I think Taylor it's going to be great for fantasy, but I did just find that a little weird. It just wasn't, it wasn't what I was expecting from the Colts. Like I'd understand if they'd gotten down two touchdowns early and needed to go hurry up, but it seemed like they just really wanted to like work Hines and those shorter passes. I guess you're, I right. you're right. It did, it did mostly work. It yeah. mostly worked. Yeah, it did. And you know, yeah, Hines came in before Taylor too. And yeah, they, they used a lot of him, you know, Mac was objectively good. 
he was he looked really good before the injury. I, I felt really bad for him. Uh, I I do think you're right. You're on to something there that you know maybe Taylor wasn't hitting the holes the same way Mac does or something like that. Uh, and it, but eventually that would convert into something better. But uh, well, no, we don't know. Um, they you know later on he Taylor did get a, a carry from the three, got to the two. The next play they did this gadget play with Jacoby Brissett in there that lost a lot of yardage because of course it did because it was like super telegraphed. And you had a pretty good idea that, you know, oh, Brissett's in there. They're going to do some gimmick play with him running the ball. He's not going to throw the ball. Sure enough, he did. He lost like six <laughs> yards. Uh, and then they, they brought Rivers in, and that's when Hines had the receiving touchdown right after that. But uh, anyways, enough about the Colts. Uh, you know, we, you know, I do like the matchup against the Vikings this week. It's a debate. to Who gets well first, the, the Colts, Rivers and the Colts offense, or the Vikings pass defense, which got absolutely shredded. By uh, Aaron Rodgers, they revamped that secondary in the off season. They uh, they lost Everson Griffin and no Daniil Hunter in this one. Uh, they are clearly, I think, they're still kind of feeling their way around. Yeah, they did. Um, they got rid of all three starting corners from last year, which I think was a good move. Like none of them was, you know, Xavier Rhodes had been struggling for a couple of years now. Um, and the other guys were just, you know, mediocre Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander. So they did, but they just, they didn't bring in any new veterans, right? They're like, they're now relying on the two guys they drafted. Um, and then guys who have been like on the end of their roster. So it might be a good long-term plan, but there's going to be some growing pains. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised if by like mid season, it's secondary is in decent shape. Uh, but yeah, and, you know, even with adding Yakwe right before the season, missing, you know, having Danielle Hunter out of the lineup is rough. Uh, so yeah, I think in the Colts going back home, especially we know T Y Hilton is always much, much better indoors. Uh, so I think, I think they're, I think the Colts offense will get right. Um, but I, I also, you know, think that the, the, their defense against the Jaguars did not play very well. Um, I do think the Vikings have a pretty off- good offense, so that could be a shootout there in Indy. Yeah. Uh, 19, and, you know, yeah, to that point, uh, Gardner Minshew was 19 at 20 passing. James Robinson looked pretty good. I thought, you know, and we're going to talk more usage stuff later on, but, you know, the. James Robinson versus uh, Chris Thompson usage was very interesting. I think the consensus was, oh, yeah, Thompson will be in on all passing downs, and who knows how well they'll be able to run. You know, Thompson's probably the guy you want to start in a PPR league. I don't think I heard Thompson's name until the third quarter uh, when I was doing the rewatch. Now, maybe he, he, you know, the play happened so quick and they moved, you know, you know when, when you're watching, like, on Game Pass and you're watching the condensed version, you miss some of that sometimes, but... It was, you know, Robinson got a lot more usage than I expected. He was essentially a two and a half down back. Yeah, no, I mean, you're 100 percent right on that. Thompson had, I think, two targets. Um, he played, I think, 24 percent of snaps, 25 percent maybe. And Robinson was up at 68 percent, which for a running back, I think that was like seventh or eighth highest of week one he ran almost as many routes as thompson Mm -hmm. and he took literally all of the running back carries they had chanel took the um he had like one direct snap and one hand off the receiver but yeah i mean i based on the usage up from week one like if james robinson is still available anywhere i'd pick him up because it did it was like, like you said I thought it was going to be like a 50-50 thing with Thompson and Robinson. You know, I figured Robinson would get a bunch of carries, um, but that he would lose some carries to Thompson and Thompson would get most of the targets. Instead, it was just like Thompson, you know, he came in for like third and medium, third and long. But other than that, like Robinson was the guy. Um, So I, you know, it's probably not going to have a ton of touchdowns in that offense, but it was really the best you could have hoped for if you picked up James Robinson in terms of the usage. Now, in terms of the stat line, I think there's not going to be a lot of excitement because he didn't get a catch. He didn't score a touchdown. Uh, But looking toward the future, I think it was a very encouraging week for him. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, All right, quick note before we move on uh, from our friends at Owner's Box. Do you love the strategy of season-long fantasy sports? Live for the quick hit of DFS? Then be the first to try weekly fantasy sports, WFS, from Owner's Box. Owner's Box is kicking off the 2020 NFL season in a big way by giving everyone 25 Owner's Bucks to try the game for free. In addition, Owner's Box will be matching users' first deposit up to $50. 
Weekly fantasy sports keeps players engaged through live drafting, social interaction, and a new layer of strategy that puts the power back in your hands. Compete with your opponent over seven days of fierce competition and get paid out weekly. New public and private contests start every day. The Owner's Box game provides users with a fun and engaging rule set that revolves around a set number of game opportunities by, by roster position. Your players earn you points throughout the week, but only if you have enough games available at that position. Owner's Box allows users to engage socially in multiple different ways with the community. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. Sign up today to try Weekly Fantasy Sports for free. But that's not it. That's Each fantasy, Weekly Fantasy Sports contest you participate in will give you one entry into a signed Drew Brees jersey giveaway. In honor of the NFL season, Owner's Box will also be matching your first-time deposit of up to $50. Head on over to ownersbox.com slash rotowire to claim your rewards and join the new wave of fantasy sports. I'm Jeff Erickson here with Jerry Donabedian. We are talking about uh, week two. We're talking about hidden stats. We're talking about some of the injury news. Let's let's jump into the stats column here. Talk about uh, usage and, and some of that. You did the hidden stats article. It's free on Rotowire this week. Check it out. You tweeted it out a couple of times, and I've retweeted it. Uh, I, first of all, what's your methodology for breaking all this down? Uh, so, well, it, takes, it definitely takes a good amount of time. Um, because I, you know, I, the first thing we did the backfield breakdown, which I think probably for fantasy is the most important, right? Like seeing the how they got, you know, teams are using them, what kind of goal line work they're getting, um, the targets, the routes. So yeah, I basically just break down every team, look at any running back who got playing time, and then show the carries, what percentage of carries. Same thing for targets. Uh, snap share, of course, and then for the routes, and then I kind of just comment on like any, you know, useful notes. Um, so, like for one example, it's like you know, for I think you know, snap share the past few years, I think people have caught on to as like that's a good indicator for running backs. But I do think that sometimes you need like a little more context with that. It's like Todd Gurley only got forty six percent of the snaps, so you might say, eh, I'm kind, you know, kind of worried there. But if you look at it, he got 14 of their 18 running back carries. And you'd say, oh, he only got half the running back targets. But, you know, five is still pretty good. But all five of the other targets that went to Ito Smith and Brian Hill were on the final drive, like in garbage time, when they started to put some of their backups in, the Falcons did. Um, so, you know, you, you just making notes of stuff like that to kind of give some context. It's like, you know, Gurley finished with 46% snap share and half the running back targets, but really when it was competitive, it was like he played like 60% of the snaps and got right. all the targets. And when he came off the field, they were throwing the ball to their receivers. Uh, you know, it's and we've seen that sort of with like someone like Aaron Jones for the Packers. Like he never last year, he didn't ever really have, except for when Jamal Williams was out, he never had like huge snap shares. But whenever Aaron Jones is on the field, getting him the ball is the priority. And whenever he comes off the field that's when we see more targets going to the receivers and the tight ends uh, so you know snap share is definitely a good stat to be aware of but trying to look at stuff like how many routes guys are running to um and you know where they're getting their usage i'd say malcolm brown for the rams is another guy where 60 percent snap share pretty good it's probably better than what most were expecting but it's not great but you look at you know when he was on the field and what touches he was getting. He was getting the goal line work. He was getting the targets. He easily led their running backs in routes. Um, so really, they subbed in Cam Akers for some carries. But other than that, like Malcolm Brown is getting all the high value stuff. Like those those carries between the twenty yard lines, they're just not worth that much for fantasy. Targets are way more valuable, and of course, anything near the goal line is the most valuable of all. Right, right. and Brown objectively looked good too. He, you know, it wasn't just that he got the usage. He actually, he did something with it, uh, and that you know, when both those come together, you got to be pretty excited, or, or at least maybe not excited, but at least convinced that uh, he could be worth something this year. And it's not just a okay, he's the veteran, he gets the first carry sort of thing. He gets you know, he actually earned it. He was the better, and we'll see when they got a fully healthy Henderson whether that changes at all. But uh, he he looks the part to me. Yeah, he played really well. And right, it does. It definitely helps when you know it's nice to have the usage, but it's like if you have the usage but you're not doing anything with it, you're in danger of losing those snaps and those routes and those targets. Um, so yeah, seeing that Brown, you know, outplayed Acres so easily, it's like you figure Brown 
it's not, not solid there, right? Like it could, it's could be, it's a fluid situation, but Brown, I think at least bought himself another week in the lead role. You know, he, so you can, I think you can start him as an RB two this week, not a great matchup going to Philadelphia, but he's at least bought himself another week. Um, and you know, if you're, if you just lost, you know, if you're one of the people who just lost the start running back or you drafted like a zero RB team and you're scrambling. Um, I think there's a lot of appeal for Malcolm Brown because you just kind of know that, okay, he's going to get a bunch of touches this week. Is he going to be able to hold off acres all season? You know, I don't know. Um, and obviously you mentioned Henderson also a factor too, but for week two, Brown seems like a pretty safe source of touches. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I think that the usage question that everybody is kind of most triggered on has to be Nick Chubbs and Nick Nick Chubb and uh, Kareem Hunt. You know that game was a blowout, thirty eight to six, and it was thirty one. You know Chubb, I don't think saw the field in the fourth quarter after that fumble on the last play of the third quarter, but it was already thirty one to six at that point. Uh, you know, but it, it's true though. Hunt came. You know they were like, you know Chubb didn't even get like full series. He had what like forty two yards in the first quarter has like a 20-yard run, and Hunt comes in next play, gets a 20-plus one of his own, and stays in the game, is in there in the goal line package and everything. It's just the same as last year, it feels like to me. Yeah, it was, that was, and um, as a Ravens fan, I was like, that was the main game that I was watching. Right. It felt, it was still more Chubb than Hunt before the game got out of hand. Um and Chubb actually had a fumble, and then after that, he didn't get any more touches. Um, obviously, he's a guy who's not going to be benched beyond the current week for a fumble. He has a good track record and everything. Right. But at the time of that fumble, Chubb had a 10-7 carry advantage. Um, but that's like, if you drafted Chubb in the second round, that's not, that's way too close to 50-50 for comfort. Right. Um, and Hunt had a 6-1 target advantage for the game. Although, interestingly, Chubb ran three more routes than Hunt. So it wasn't like they were, you know, pulling Chubb off the field every time they wanted to pass. But I do think it's sort of what we saw last year, that they throwing the ball to Hunt is like one of the featured parts of their offense is that they game plan. Whereas Chubb is like, he'll catch a few dump down, dump off passes, but that's not really, he's not going to be the first read. Um, so like a cream hunt route is probably a lot more valuable for fantasy purposes than a Nick Chubb route. I'd agree. With um, and, and yeah, it was, I would still, you know, I would definitely start Chubb over hunt this week. Um, and during the Thursday game against Cincinnati and it's definitely a good matchup, especially for the guy who gets more carries. But it's, yeah, you know, I Chubb in the second round is not looking great now. Um, but he's there and they're both great players. So it's 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 not it's hard for to really argue with the coaching too much. Um, you'd like to see Chubb maybe get a few more carries. Uh, but, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like a total disaster scenario either. I think just keep, you know, keep in mind that the Ravens just destroyed the Browns, knocked them out of the stadium and then Chubb did other than the fumble he did play well the one thing the browns could not pass the ball they could not do stop the ravens at all they were sloppy on special teams but the one thing they did do well was they ran the ball pretty well yeah they did uh for in like the very first drive first play of the game chubb runs off an 11 yard run he gets his reception on that same drive i'm like okay this is gonna be a decent game and it, it really wasn't uh most you know the, the drive that most exemplified the Browns day they get down to like the Ravens 29 uh and this is when it's 10 to 6 so second quarter still a viable game and they go penalty penalty sack penalty next thing you know it's third and 41 and you know they they have they they have to end up punting and they they end up getting the ball you know they had a great punt got it to all the way to like the the one yard line and of course the Ravens rip off a 99 yard drive like it was nobody's business yeah, this was, and I, I mean, obviously the Browns, um, disappointing, but I did, I did kind of, as I'm biased as a Ravens fan, I guess, but it right. kind of felt like in the middle of last year when the Ravens were really like hitting their stride, there was a point where it was just like, you didn't get any, there was no takeaway from what happened when a team played the Ravens. Like they were just blowing out playoff teams by 30 points. Like right. they made the Texans look like a college team and it wasn't, you know, that it was just the Ravens were just on a different level. Uh, of course they completely collapsed as soon as they got to the playoffs. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're going to try to avoid that this year. Um, 
But yeah, I'm not, I don't know really what to make of this for the Browns. I thought Baker Mayfield didn't play well, and I thought that their offensive line did play pretty well, and the backs played pretty well. Um, but yeah, the, the Browns defense is just, it's not equipped to deal with an offense like the Ravens. They're going to need to score more points, a lot more points to be competitive. Yeah. They also had some pretty key injuries. Greedy Williams was out in that game. Uh, that that kind of rendered them you know, a little bit more defenseless against the pass. Uh, they've got some, in, you know, both sides have some injuries uh, for Thursday night, uh, Bengals and the Browns. Uh, you know, no Geno Atkins for the Bengals again, two weeks in a row without him. Uh, and that, that clearly showed up at uh, the Chargers running game. Both Eckler and Joshua Kelly ran really well. Uh, but th- there, there was just a lot of things going on here like that, that you kind of, you know, you get, goes a little bit under the radar. Yeah, and I think with the Browns, you've got the additional challenge of, you know, a new coaching staff in a, you know, strange offseason with not as much practice time. Um, and maybe we'll see that with a few teams, although a couple of the teams like the uh, – the Washington football team pulled off a nice pretty, what ended up being a, by the end, a comfortable upset win with, you know, a young quarterback um, and a new coaching staff. Although that, you know, I think most would say that was more of a Philadelphia implosion than a really Washington doing a whole lot to win the game. Yeah. Uh, well, and that, that, that Eagles offensive line. Oh, it's, it's a mess right now. There's two big injuries. It's they're scrambling to kind of put everything together. And it, it really tore apart that offense. And, you know, Wentz kind of made some mistakes along the way, too. He didn't handle it all very well. Yeah, that's that's very interesting because, you know, throughout the whole Doug Peterson era, the offensive line playing at a really high level has been the consistent. They've had a lot of injuries at other positions. You know, the, the receivers have been at times good, at times the entire lineup's hurt. Same with, like, the defense. Um, it's been on and off, but, like, the offensive line has been the one consistent. Um, and now I think other, I think the defense looks pretty good this year uh, with Darius Slay at cornerback now. You've got a deep group on the defensive line still, but now, like, the offensive line has just totally imploded um, through no fault of their own, just injuries. Um, but, yeah, that'll be, I don't think Carson Wentz is used to playing behind and a bad line it's going to be an adjustment for him right right so uh yeah i I kind of i mean we went back and forth on this from a spread picking standpoint on the xm show today uh but i i took the eagles because i expected them to be like the standard three-point favorite instead the rams are a road favorite but i don't feel very strong about the pick it's one of those like eh yeah it's just I, i if i were an actual better um i would be and that would be a game I'd just pass by. I'd watch it, but you know I wouldn't be betting it. Yeah, that's one because I'm I'm always my feeling is that with the Eagles' offensive line injuries, you know, and facing Aaron Donald, I think the Rams have been a little underrated going into this year. But yeah, you do. I'm I'm wary of like the what feels like a week one overreaction because you're right. If you had set this line prior to week one, you probably would have said Eagles at home like what that's going to be like a four-point favorite right right um granted a lot you know what happens in week one does have meaning uh and we've seen that the rams have had pretty good injury luck so far the eagles have had terrible injury luck uh so there are a bunch of factors there but yeah if that wouldn't be a line that i would target this week like i i don't really know what to expect there right uh, one takeaway from your uh the snap count uh portion of your article the snap share uh was miles gaskin how much work he got. Now, it, it struck me, too. He was clearly the best back of the three. Jordan Howard looked terrible. Uh, and Matt Brito was invisible in that game. Yeah, so basically, I think right go this summer, I think what we all expected was that Jordan Howard was going to be like the early down bruiser. He's going to get the goal line. And he'd probably get about 60% of the carries, right? And then Brito would get four, maybe 35 40% of the carries and most of the targets. Um, and then what happened instead was that Miles Gaskin took that Brita role, right, with the targets, the passing downs, and about 35, 40% of the carries. And what we thought was going to be the Jordan Howard role was instead, like, combined between Jordan Howard and Brita. Like, neither of them saw any targets. They ran very few routes, didn't play a whole lot of snaps. Um, so my take on it is kind of like, and I, you know, Howard, I think, did 
get sort of temporarily semi-benched. Like, he didn't get any carries in the second or third quarter after he got off to a poor start. Then they brought him in and it, in the fourth quarter, and it took him three chances from the one-yard line in a row before he finally converted the touchdown. Um, but then we didn't see him again after that. Uh, so I think, I don't know, I can't, it's hard to, I don't think they're just going to bury Howard and Breida after one week. But I think there might be some upside there for Gaskin to be a guy who gets like, 10, 12 carries, four or five targets per week. I wouldn't necessarily expect it right now in week two. No. Um, but, you know, especially on a rebuilding team, he's a young guy on a rookie contract. Uh, and Breeden and Howard, they're not really committed to beyond this year. Uh, so I think he's you're not going to be as comfortable. If you pick Miles Gaskin up, you're not going to be as comfortable starting him as you would be with Malcolm Brown, or certainly not as you would be with Benny Snell if James Conner were to sit. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if like mid season Gaskin is the most valuable of those guys and that he is the lead back in Miami. Yeah. That he has some staying power with that there. I think that there, that that's a pretty reasonable take, uh, before I move on, I have to share one other quick note with our sponsors, uh, prediction strike prediction strike is a fancy sports stock market on which you can buy and sell shares of professional athletes as if they were stocks. Ever heard someone say, I've had stock in this player since day one. Well, now, Prediction Strike makes that a real possibility. You had stock in Patrick Mahomes his rookie year. You knew this would happen. Now it's a reality. Create a portfolio of all your favorite athletes and get closer to the game than ever before. To get started, simply visit PredictionStrike.com to create an account. Then deposit funds to buy, sell, and hold shares of your favorite players, just like you would real stocks. Each game is like an earnings report. If the player beats his projections, his stock moves up. It's that easy. You can trade your shares of players at any time as long as the player isn't currently in a game. Get started today by visiting predictionstrike.com and sign up with code ROTOWIRE to get an additional $10 with your first deposit of $20 or more. That's predictionstrike.com. All right. I'm Jeff Erickson here with Jerry Donabedian. Uh, we're discussing his hidden shares or hit. I'm sorry, his hidden stat article. Uh, we're talking about snap shares for running backs, targets for wide receivers, routes run for wide receivers. Jerry, what were your top wide receiver takeaways from week one? Uh, so a bunch of things there. Um, one of the big ones was from Monday Night Football. Uh, something that I had been watching with close interest because I drafted James Washington as like my like you know final few rounds pick yep. in a lot of leagues. Um, but they so they he did James Washington he got he scored a touchdown but he didn't really do much else, uh, which was largely because he was like, like clearly behind behind Deontay Johnson who saw ten targets, played about eighty six percent of snaps, ran a route on nearly every one of Ben Roethlisberger's dropbacks. Meanwhile, James Washington only played in three wide sets. Uh, when they went, when they had two receivers and two tight ends, Ebron and McDonald on the field, uh, it was mostly Juju and Deontay playing, and then Claypool, the rookie, mixed in for a few snaps. He looked really good, by the way. That guy is a beast. Yeah, um, that one pass along yeah. the sidelines where he like posted yeah, it and got the feet down. That was that was pretty sweet. Yeah, so that's that's like doubly concerning for Washington, right? Is he's He's already behind Deontay Johnson, and he's only playing in three receiver sets. And then he's got this guy breathing over his shoulder who's like six foot four, two hundred thirty pounds, and runs a four four forty, and just played really well in his first NFL game. Uh, um, so it's discouraging for Washington, but encouraging for Deontay Johnson. He didn't have a big fantasy game, but to see him lead, had to get thirty two percent target share, uh, which was like top ten across the league, more targets than Juju. Uh, so he didn't get the touchdown. But I think based on the usage, uh, you should be pretty excited with Deontay Johnson right now. I think it's he's, you know, I think based on that, it seems like the Steelers are expecting that second year breakout from him. Yeah, that's funny. I also had James Washington as like an endgame pick in the NFFC where we have 20 man rosters in part because of your Twitter exchange with him. <laughs> yeah, James Washington is my best friend. How could I forget <laughs> Uh, mention that yeah no I mean he has James Washington has like I don't know if anyone's ever like anyone else pays attention to this stuff maybe I just watch way too much football but James Washington has a very short neck and like really like long arms and legs like he's basically a six foot three person but with a short neck and like his wingspan is like the same as an NBA shooting guard even though he's only like five foot eleven 
So my point was like, how does it, you know, it's been held against him maybe that he's not tall, but I'm like, does it matter how you don't catch the ball with your head unless you're David Tyree, right? Like it doesn't matter how tall, how far off the ground your head is. It matters how far off the ground your hands can get, which you catch with. Uh, But anyway, none of that matters if you're losing snaps, Chase Claypool, right? Right, right. Uh, and, And, you know, Claypool was their first draft pick in the second round. So there's also that too. Um, and he's a he's a conventional top, tall guy with like the normal neck and everything. So exactly, exactly. Uh, Julian Edelman only played fifty eight percent of his snaps. Now the Patriots they really want to grind out games. They just want to run and run and you know run, a lot of misdirection. And we saw you know Edelman getting lots of rest in training camp too. He's kind of getting phased out a little bit. Not phased out, maybe is not the right word, but he's getting load managed. Yeah, this was uh, this was one that I'm like I really need to see a, a week two here to see what the Patriots do at Seattle because they did they came out with this like you know unique game plan um, which earlier in Brady's career um, they would kind of do this like one week they'd run forty times and the next week they'd throw forty five times but the past few years they kind of got away from that they did they pretty much ran their spread offense. Um, then they would sometimes in certain matchups mix in more of the power stuff. But this was kind of like a Belichick throwback. Like it was a game plan that we'd never seen before, which I guess makes sense when you have Cam Newton, totally different style of quarterback. Um, so on the one, on hand with Edelman, he only played 58% of snaps, whereas in like last year, he was usually up around at least 80%, sometimes close to 90 or 100. The good news is that he only, on his 19 routes, which is a very small number, he was targeted seven times. So basically, if he was running a route, they were throwing him the ball, uh, which if you look at the rest of the receivers and tight ends on their roster makes sense um so it's kind of one of those where it's like okay he's still a priority when they pass the ball but how much are they going to pass the ball like was this you know was this like a one week you know extreme game plan for you know a home game where they're a favorite and they jump out to a lead against the dolphins or is this like the patriots new reality like are they going to do as a four-man running back rotation and they're going to pound cam newton 15 times and they're only going to try to throw you know 20 25 times like i and I don't know. It's, you know, with Bill Belichick especially, it's like I could see it going either way. Uh, so it's something I'll keep an eye on week two. But in the interim, I'm like, uh, I took Edelman out of any lineups where I had in week one. Like, I, my confidence is down. I'll say that much. Yeah, me too. Uh, I, I do think your point, though, about week seeing what happens week two is important because, I mean, Seattle looks unstoppable right now. Now, granted, that was against Atlanta, which is the – that they're the movable object right now. Uh, and, you know, and we'll see. Uh, you know, I think that uh, against the Pats defense it might be a lot different. But su- suffice to say, I think that they're going to have to throw more this week. Yeah, that game will be really interesting, too, from the other side because the Seahawks came out with, like, a really pass-heavy game plan. And, you know, anyone who's been on, uh, like, you know, analytics or fantasy football Twitter knows that that has been a major complaint for a lot of people for, like, five years now. The Seahawks don't throw enough. You know, they need to let Russ cook. Um, And in week one, I think they were second in the league in pass rate on first and second downs. Russ definitely cooked. Metcalf and Lockett both had huge games. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see, do the Seahawks keep up all that passing and do the Patriots keep up with all the running or not? Do, you know, both teams kind of fall back toward the middle somewhere. Yeah, that's the uh, Sunday night game. So uh, n- not really a big DFS game, although people will play the showdown f- format, I suppose. I I can't do that. I don't like single game slates or two game slates or things like that. I need, I need more games for me personally when I play DFS, but... Uh, Eh, everybody is different on that, I guess. Uh, before we let you go, Jerry, uh, what's a game or two that you're looking at uh, with a lot of interest for Week Two slate? Uh, so I guess the the Tampa Bay Carolina game. I'm definitely. I think there's going to be just you know the, the Panthers defense as we saw last week is one we can consistently target. Um, although Chris Godwin was actually like the main guy I was interested in, so I'm a little bit. And then I'm like, do I really, you know, if he's out, then my confidence in Brady goes down a little. Um, so that's one we'll have to keep an eye on. But I also think on the Carolina side, I think a lot of people are seem to be down on DJ Moore, which seems odd for a guy who caught like nearly 100 passes last year. And he still he saw nine targets week one. It didn't happen for him in terms of the points. 
but you know, it's especially with wide receivers. I said it earlier, like great wide receivers have down games. Um, and I think there's been an overreaction in both directions where, and I'm guilty of it. I was like, I don't, maybe Devonte Adams can break the receptions record. And Michael Thomas set last year. It's not, it's not the wildest thing ever, but it's probably just me overreacting to week one. Like he's same role, same team and all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, the Tampa Bay Carolina game. And then in terms of DFS, I'm really interested in the Arizona Washington game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington was at least in week one came out with a more like aggressive offensive plan than we saw last year when they were kind of, just handing off to Peterson over and over again. Uh, in Arizona, we saw them throw the ball in what was a close game. I think they threw the ball 45 times, plus Murray had a bunch of scrambles. They easily led the league in no huddle rate. Um, and Washington also moved at a pretty decent pace when they were on offense. So I think that, that could be a game where we get high snap volume. Uh, I think we're going to see Terry McLaurin bounced back from a quiet, pretty quiet week one. Uh, and I'm based on partially based on the usage and partially because I think he's actually pretty decent. Logan Thomas, the Washington tight end, uh, he played almost 80% of snaps last week. He led the team in targets. Uh, and he's facing Arizona defense that, as we know, has struggled to cover the middle of the field. It was last year's tight ends and week one it was running backs. Uh, Raheem Mostert, obviously, right. with that long catch. And then Jeremy. Kinnan also had himself like a nice little game, the few catches. Uh, but yeah, I think for like, especially for DFS, I think that Arizona Washington game is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Might, might bode well for Antonio Gibson too, who only had 11 touches. Maybe he's a little bit more active this week instead of just running Peyton Barber into the pile 17 times. I don't know. Seems, seems like that. Would yeah. Be a that plan. Yeah. Barber, he had the two touchdowns, but did nothing else. And then JD McKissick, I think he, I think he had negative one yard on his touches. Like that right. seemed, and that's one of those where the, you, you know, if, he keeps getting outplayed by Gibson. How long is he going to keep his role? We know Gibson's a converted wide receiver, uh, so he can probably handle himself all right on that third down roll, I would think. That's what I would think, too. All right, cool. Uh, well, anything else you want to, uh, you know, so remind everybody what you're, you're working on, what's coming up next, your schedule, so people know what to see. All right, so coming up next, last two things I write for Rotowire this week. Thursday, we'll have Exploiting the Matchup, Start, Sit, um, running through a lot of the stuff we just talked about, some like spots where guys who are sort of like borderline, you know, in and out of your lineup type players or guys who people might have waning confidence in them, looking at the matchups for whether, you know, that determines whether you might start them or sit them or even stream them if they're available on waivers. Uh, and then every Friday morning, I post my DFS tournament guide, which is geared toward DraftKings and and geared towards tournaments like big you know large field high payout tournaments but there's also some stuff in there that's good for cash games um, and that also does kind of build on the stuff that i do throughout the week with usage and matchups sort of putting it all together um and looking at some really good like stacking lineup options for dfs looking forward to it uh should be should, a lot of good stuff there folks make sure you check it all out Make, make sure to also follow Jerry on Twitter at Jerry Donabedian. Uh, again, thanks everybody for listening. Tomorrow we got uh, John and Mario as always. Thanks for listening to RotoWire. Have a great day. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.